All right. So today we got Alex Trader with us. So the guy that basically uh, inspired us to continue pushing forward with our podcast, <laughs> probably one of the most magnetic people that I've met over the last 10 years. And uh, you got your hands in all kinds of crazy stuff, right? You're uh, what a connector of people. You're working in the software industry. You're deep into the startup space, recently really into the IoT space. So uh, what's going on, man? What have you been working on? Uh, I mean, what haven't I been working on is probably a better question. (laughs) I, it's, it's crazy. You know, I, uh, uh, really kind of started my technology journey about seven years ago and never in my wildest dreams would I've imagined number one, working in software, number two, having a startup of any kind, you know, talking about IOT me number three, like actually connecting people with a wide variety of all different shapes and sizes of organizations uh, throughout the country and world. Like it just, it's kind of mind boggling to me uh, how, you know, our histories can uh, kind of create a path based on just where we are and who we are. So um, yeah, I got a couple of things. So my primary gig and primary role is with TrueFit uh, here in Pittsburgh. We are not a clothing company. We are not a fitness (laughs) company. Um, Although the name does make one to believe that that could be possible. Um, we are a software company and software product company to that nature. We've been around for 26 years this year. Um, started building out software in the kind of industrial automation space for the railroad systems here in Pittsburgh. Uh, and as technology kind of shifted and pivoted over the last two plus decades, so have we. So we build a lot of mobile applications, web applications, SaaS platforms, uh, both for kind of funded VC is the, the key term there, backed startups, uh, into, you know, enterprise Fortune 100 companies. Um, and it's been fun. So that's my primary gig. On the secondary scale, I am the president and co-founder of a startup called IoT Media and Entertainment. I, we're two years old. It's just me and Eric. Can we still call ourselves a startup? I guess we can. I think yeah. you can call yourself a startup indefinitely. As long as you yeah, have those just, startup principles, you are a startup. Well, we're, just, we're just always going to be a startup. Yeah. So two years in, um, the company is IoT Media and Entertainment. We paraphrase IoT Me. Um, and really it was founded on kind of building, uh, building relationships, business to business relationships within the IOT space across the globe. Um, and I think Derek, that's how you and I engaged. I had sent you a LinkedIn message and, uh, you know, just kind of briefly mentioned, Hey, the IOT me thing. And it piqued your interest with your previous experiences. We had some conversations and, uh, about a year, not what a year, a year into this, year and a half into this. It's and getting close. Are. Yeah, I think it was springtime yeah. at least. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So, um, and you were um, you were super plugged into the Raleigh community, even though you were in Pitts or uh, up in Pittsburgh, right? You you hit Tom Schneider up from Riot, and I was like, yeah. oh man, like most of your network is uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. <laughs> it it was. Tom's a great guy. That what they're doing at Riot is is absolutely fantastic. He was actually the very first guest that I had on the uh, IoT Me webcast that we that we started this year. So um, super cool things down there. And Raleigh's a great area. I've never been, yeah. but it's a great area. <laughs> I, there's my plug for Raleigh. There, no, lots so, of cool people down there. Alex, you've like obviously been in the, in the industry for, you said seven years, right? What, you said you hadn't really expected yourself to be here. What were you doing before? And then what kind of got you, got you started? Um, this is awesome. All right. Uh, so I, 
I mean, my past has been like super spotted. Um, right prior to getting in the tre- technology, uh, I was selling merchant services through Bank of America uh, down hmm. in Dallas. So I was in a call center calling on businesses, selling them credit card processing. Um, man, it was not fun at all. Um, prior to that, uh, I really cut my my true sales teeth selling insurance with a company called Combined, uh, literally door to door. So uh, I would have a binder and I would park my car in the middle of like a small mining community here in southwestern Pennsylvania. And I would walk the streets, both residential and business, uh, ringing doorbells, knocking on doors at like four o'clock, five o'clock at night while families were sitting down eating dinner. Um, I was the guy that was like, Hey, so I know everybody's home right now. Um, do you want to talk insurance? (laughs) It was, uh, it was painful for like the first nine weeks. But once I, once I really kind of created, um, created my own approach and found that it was about the relationship more than it was about the sale. Um, I actually got quite good at it and started enjoying it. Uh, prior to that, I did a bunch of random things. I worked for a, uh, a rafting outfitters here in southwestern Pennsylvania. I worked for a resort called Nemecolon Woodlands, where I was in the activities adventure center, uh, running paintball games and ropes course and belaying people on a climbing wall. And uh, yeah, I've. The crazy thing is that I can see you doing all of these things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like nothing sounds strange in what you're telling me, which is like. <laughs> you know, a sign of someone who like has a ton of different skill set, but so you transitioned seven years ago to, to this role. What sort of, what was that gateway job or drug for you? Yeah. So the gateway was, um, I had built some relationships working with combined, um, with, with a, a buddy of mine down in Dallas, uh, Elvin Jones, great guy. Um, he had a friend of his that had a startup VAR and in the technology space, it's value added reseller for those that don't know. And they basically, a VAR operates as the middleman between the OEM, like, uh, Microsoft, Dell, HP, Lenovo, and the client and consumer. So quite literally drinking from the fire hose of servers, network, storage, software, selling IT solutions and hardware to, um, companies, both large and small, having conversations with CIOs. That for me was really kind of the, the start of kind of the in-person field sales, client executive. I'm going out, I'm doing happy hours, lunches, building relationships with people in an effort that they call me the next time they need something. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that for about two and a half years. And uh, it, it, like I said, drinking from the fire hose is very appropriate um, from somebody that's been a longtime user of technology, but has never been on the other side of the developing technology or in the hardware space. Like I knew what a server was, didn't really know how a server worked. Right. Um, and so that was what got me started in it. And then as I had conversations through the vendors and partners and stuff, um, you know, I knew that, that being in the technology world in and of itself, like you can make a killing. And so I kind of wanted to plant my feet and get my, you know, take my lashes, um, left Dallas for a startup here in Pittsburgh called NetBees, uh, where I was selling proactive network monitoring solution. And so that IoT component built on the Raspberry Pi devices, they had built a SaaS platform to have like real, real time from the user network monitoring. 
um, which was cool. And then from there, kind of tripped into, from a buddy of mine, uh, an intro into the software space. Oh. Yeah, so that's that's a that's a wild path. So first of all, <laughs> when you come down to North Carolina, um, we got to get you to Asheville if you haven't been there, right? Never so been. I think that's that's right up your alley. There's a lot of outdoorsy stuff. You can you can tick a lot of those boxes. Yeah, but it's fascinating to see, you know, how your experience in that insurance space, just probably taking L's left and right, and really kind of a contentious environment helped shape your sales and BD style into a relationship focus, right? And it shows, like right from the beginning, it was one of the most magnetic people that we've, that we've met, right? It's it's really difficult to not like you, even if you didn't want, you know, even if you didn't want to. So again, I bet your insurance life went pretty well. Even when you're calling people at dinner time, they're like, all right, I'll give this guy 10 minutes. I'll it see what did, he's say. it did. It was so interesting. And I always, it, I talk about insurance a lot, even in, even in where I am now. Um, and I always go back to if you can if you can walk down the street with a binder in your hand and have a conversation with a guy that's had a mechanic shop is like second or third generation mechanic is basically grew up with a wrench in his hand, build a relationship with them within 35, 45 minutes to an hour and come away with a policy like you can do absolutely anything. And one of the biggest the biggest struggles that I had in that industry at that time, actually just in my life at that time was, I remember having a conversation with Karen, my wife, like, I just don't understand how to relate to these people. Like I'm not a mechanic. I don't own a business. Like, I don't know. I take my car to go get the oil change. Like I don't even do the oil myself. Like how am I supposed to have a conversation and relate and really build a relationship with somebody that I know nothing about? And what I found out was that it, you don't have to, you just have to be an inquisitive individual. You have to be a personable individual and get somebody to talk. Like the conversation, instead of being about what I had to offer them was about what are you doing and who are you and why do you do it? And why do you like that? If somebody had a fish hanging on the wall. I mean, I fished in the past, but I'm not a fisherman, but that looks like a nice fish. You do fishing often, you know, like, oh yeah, let me tell you about all these things. Wow. That's incredible. Tell me about, it. and you just, you, somebody opens up when you start yeah. talking about something that they like. And that, that literally translates into every single sales role ever. Like it doesn't matter what you're selling. Building that relationship is absolutely key. I'd have no idea what this, what this has to do with IOT or technology, but I, I enjoy talking about it. So. No, this is a, the, the whole premise of this is, you know, business, innovation, technology, entrepreneurship, strategy, and that ticks all the boxes, right? Like, so the big takeaway there is just the authenticity of it. I think the stereotype of salespeople is, you know, they're, they're fast talking, they're slimy, they try to find something to relate to you and kind of lie and pretend that I'm that person too. Mm -hmm. But you, you see through that, right? If there's not authenticity there. Yeah, that's, that's who you want to hang up the phone with. That's who you don't want to talk to. That's who you want to push out of your door. But if it's somebody that you can immediately connect with, that's inquisitive, that's truly authentic, and builds meaningful relationships, you talk to that person all day, two, yeah. three, four hours. And, you know, we have uh, someone we work with quite a bit. And same story, you put them in any room with anybody, and he can make a connection, make a deep, meaningful relationship. And it's not because he's faking that he's like that person. It's to your point. It's because he's inquisitive and he cares and it, and it projects through. Yeah. So it's super fun. It's good to see. Yeah. So you've been, um, what really got you super interested in IoT? So you moved into the tech space. 
you started getting into working with bars, selling complicated solutions. If I remember right, you don't have an engineering background, so you're drinking from the fire hose there too. So you're learning not only how it all works, but what the end users care about are and how you bridge those together. And then along the way, you worked with that company, you started working with IoT devices. What were the use cases were like, I'm really into this. These are the use cases that really turned me on toward IoT. It's interesting, man. Prior to my role at TrueFit, I worked with another software company and one of our one of our key clients in the relationship that I built there um, was with Particle out of uh, out of California. This was prior to their like Series C raise and everything like that. But we got plugged into a connected project with them. Um, We went to they did a roadshow back in 2019 and they only visited two cities, Pittsburgh and Boston. And it was like it kind of blew my mind because it's like, okay, like you're, you're this kind of Bay area startup IOT company. Like you could have done this event anywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. But Pittsburgh was one of the locations that they chose. Um, And I think it was, it was a combination of, of that event. Some of the other conversations that I was having at the time, um, just seeing the true potential and really what, what IOT is. And, And like I said before, like, I've been a user of technology almost my whole life. I mean, I grew up like I was five years old whenever I had my first NES. Like I was part of that true, like, like forefront of the millennial generation where I played outside until the streetlights came on and had to come home. And then, then technologies kind of became a part of my life later on. So I've been a user. Um, I don't think that I truly understood how IOT falls in every facet of life. Um, And that was really fascinating to me. Uh, And so kind of between between that particular event and then another partnership group that I had built a relationship with called Breadware out of uh, Reno, Nevada. Um, And that's Eric Sanchez, my IoT Me business partner. He was their director of strategic communications. Um, They had put together an event series um, in LA and as a partner, I had gone out to both of his events and was blown away by the types of people that he had, the projects that were being worked on. Um, and bet- those two things really kind of, kind of, um, locked me in, anchored me into IOT. Long story short, Eric and I built a relationship, brought him out here to Pittsburgh. Basically, well, I had to drag him out to Pittsburgh because him being from uh, Santa Barbara was like, Pittsburgh's only it's a flyover different. city. Yeah. He's like, it's a flyover city. You never stop in Pittsburgh. So drug him here to Pittsburgh. He fell in love with the scene and the tech ecosystem. Um, We partnered up, created IOT me. And uh, he's got, I don't know. It's just, it's amazing, man. We've got a lot of relationships globally in that space. And so I think uh, all those things culminating into, and then, and then kind of joining TrueFit and TrueFit has deep, deep, deep experiences in connected technologies, um, body media, way, way before, you know, Fitbit and Apple watches and things like that. Um, they kind of pioneered wearable technology and it was a startup here in the Pittsburgh area. Our principal mm-hmm. designer, John Beck, uh, was actually on their startup team. Um, and so we have, we've built IOT solutions and connected devices. And so me coming in with my existing IOT relationships, TrueFit having the previous IOT experiences, now it's really kind of a driving force and the types of conversations and the things that we've gotten sucked into in the last few years have just been mind boggling. 
I don't know if I answered your question, but no, no, this is here we are. <laughs> because yeah, you guys have been basically y'all been doing IoT since it was called M to M, right? <laughs> yeah, is what it was. we had and, a guy that we used to work with that was um came from Intel. And he was talking about, it's like, no, it's just a new name. It's just a new name. It's been going on for years. You repackage it. It's you a put fad. a bunch of hipsters in it and uh, you get to do some cool stuff. Right. Yeah. I guess my thought there is just because, you know, you guys have been so entrenched in IoT. It's been a buzzword for a minute now. What sort of trends are you seeing? Like what's exciting you about about the IoT space? Oh, what, what to talk about? There's a lot of things that excite me that I can't talk about. Um, there's a couple of things that I will talk about. So... Um, I think, you know, kind of, kind of on where we are today as consumers, right. And the ability and the desire for everybody to track everything and to know yourself and, and about your personal data from a health perspective and a wearable perspective. Um, I think one of the most interesting things is that, um, we're actually connected with, uh, NC States assist group, which Mm. I'm not sure if you guys know, know those folks over there or not. Um, they're doing some incredible things with their conglomerate of research and development university groups. Um, and they're literally doing R and D on like the next vision of wearable devices. So, um, like ultra low energy Bluetooth usage and an energy harvesting technology, right? So using body heat from your arm to charge your Apple watch or, um, using solar or, or those types of things I think are fascinating to me. Um, really kind of increasing the type and the amount of sensors in our wearable devices as technology gets smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, we talk about IoT. IoT today is way different than the IoT of 20 years ago. Like sure. yeah. the, the costs are getting, I mean, the last two years aside, right? Because of yeah, supply chain no issues. Chips, yeah. yeah. But, but all in all, like the costs to develop these devices and the research and, and the shrink these things down is getting smaller and smaller. So, you know, that aids in, and I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know, but that aids in the ability to develop more solutions and make those cost effective for people to gather more types of data. Um, and I just think like having that next generation of wearable, I hate charging my Apple Watch. Like, yeah. it'd be nice to just leave it on and not have to worry about it. Um, there's a lot of things that are happening with, uh, like we're building some things right now with some robots that people know and love, and I I won't go into a whole lot of detail, but like just the robotics piece as a whole and having those as connected devices and doing some of the dangerous jobs that, that people can't or shouldn't do, um, MSA, uh, they're doing some really incredible things from a fire safety perspective and, and keeping firefighters and folks that are in some of those, uh, some of those more dangerous um, hazardous roles, like keeping them safe, tracking their vital signs and, you know, Hey, we need to get you out, bring somebody else like those types of things. I mean, that stuff from a, from a safety perspective and from a health and data tracking perspective, I think fascinates me. The, the, the use cases, like you mentioned, are becoming endless and it's fascinating. Like you and I, first time we talked, we nerded out. We're like, the future is more connected devices than today. That's obvious. <laughs> but then it's like you think of the types of connected devices and people think the obvious ones. Oh, your refrigerator, your appliances, your smart home devices. But when you get into the biometrics aspect of it and what you can learn from that as compute gets cheaper and smaller, right? To your point, 
we can put sensors on everything now really cost effectively. ESP 32s, Raspberry Pis, you can connect them into the cloud really quickly to start harvesting data fast. Like, yeah. And the compute power at the edge, you don't even have to backhaul it to process it. You can compute at the edge, process at the edge really rapidly and, you know, effectively with a power perspective. We um we talk with some people about this, but motorsports is fascinating because you basically you swallow a biometrics pill now. So you, you swallow it and See, it, that blows my Bluetooth mind. connects. And it checks your like checks vitals and, and you know you end up uh, what your body temperature things like that real time. Wow! And then you pass it right. Like that's the cost basis <laughs> that's, right now. That's so can, crazy to me. Yeah, yeah. You can just you can so, flush it away. I think all of that is really exciting, and we've asked some of our previous you know, IoT guests and, and friends, obviously in this space. Like, it's all great. Love having this information. Um, where? How do you guys allay the fears that people have about? collecting all of this data on, you know, people on, on those biometrics, on the stuff that you use and, and, you know, how do you guys sort of talk that away and make, make it more of a, um, a benefit than, than a concern? Yeah, see, that's a really, really interesting question. And I honestly don't believe that there is a good answer for it today. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently read through the first Jurassic Park. Right. And so I don't know if you guys are familiar with that or not, but mm-hmm. like, I feel like a third of that entire book was Ian Malcolm talking about like, just because we should doesn't mean we, or just because we can doesn't mean we should. And, and that, that whole perspective, right. It was like the whole book was based on that concept of you're, you made these dinosaurs. Now they're eating everybody. You did it cause you could, mm-hmm. yeah. you, you ruined everything. Right. Um, And I think we're very much when it comes to IoT, when it comes to data in general and the stuff that we're putting out there as consumers and individuals, we're falling into the trap of convenience more than we're really looking at what can be done with that information that we've allowed to be given and to be taken on us. And so I don't know, like, I don't think that there is a good answer for that. Now, a truth that when we're developing our software products, you know, the way that we develop software is very user-centered. It's very kind of ethical in the way that we do it. We're, we, and it's in our ethics, it's on our webpage, it's on our, it's on our promotional material, right? We want to build software that makes the world a better place. So we're constantly having those conversations of, you know, is this robot going to kill somebody? Right. Like right. those are real conversations. What can somebody do with this data if it gets into the wrong hands? Um, I think that having those conversations, maybe building some regulations around, um, you know, regulating those conversations, I think will be key to data. But, you know, to the Jurassic Park comment, it's, Technology is growing exponentially faster than what our regulatory groups can even understand or comprehend. I mean, you listen to some of these, and I don't like talking politics very often, but if you listen to some of these uh, hearings like Zuckerberg and Google and and those guys, the questions that are being asked and like the blank stares, like don't even listen to what the answers and the questions are just just watch on mute and the blank stares from yeah. Congress on like, I don't know what the heck is being talked yeah. about. <laughs> like, yeah. It's mine. I have a sound bite. I was told to ask. 
so I can get that point across, but it doesn't, I don't, they don't know what the answer is. Even if you, <laughs> if you gave it to him and then they're, they're the ones that are regulating. It's like a Plato or Socrates quote. It's like, those are, that are, those are too smart to participate in politics are doomed to be ruled by those dumber than them. It's yeah. kind of, kind of where you end up at. There's an interesting parallel to that in the automotive industry. Um, the regulations with headlights state that you have in the United States, you have to have a discrete high beam and a discrete low beam. So, a lot of these cars that have LED lights now that have surpassed that technology and can do adaptive lighting, they have to turn it off when the cars come in and they have to coat it out to have discrete high, discrete low versus continually adaptable, which is undoubtedly better. And you have yeah. this anti-dazzle effect where you don't blind oncoming people, yeah. but the regulation doesn't align. It doesn't fit into the box of the bureaucracy. And that's what we're going to be facing a lot as, as data rights move forward. You'll have somebody that will build a moat with a regulation that will keep other people out and get a worse result for it. If we're not careful, you got to be benevolent when you're, when you're creating this kind of stuff. And I think you see this in a lot of other industries where they try to self-regulate. They try to have standards Mm -hmm. um, that all of these companies try to meet to avoid that regulation that oftentimes when you get to that, you know, political level, it doesn't make sense. It's not, you know, moving it to y'all's point, the pace of, of technology. So do we need a, is there a board situation? Is there some sort of like standards that, need to be to be crafted to help prevent the uh the inevitable yeah there's um when we're doing little software development projects we adhere to what's called bsim right building security in our uh, maturity model and that's kind of one framework that's being put together for how you build something safely securely how you manage and mitigate the data and and how you keep things moving forward in a very organized fashion but yeah like what happens when with data storage? How does encryption work? Like all these things are going to be very, very important, a lot faster than I think a lot of people are comfortable with. Yeah. So, and it, it it really is it really is mind boggling. And I'm I'm looking online here just to make sure that I say it right. So there's a group in Pittsburgh, and I think more groups like this are going to pop up. There's a group called Part um, P A R T, which is Partnership to Advance Responsible Technology, mm-hmm. um, and they focus a lot on like re- responsible. AI and responsible machine learning and what are we doing or what can an organization do? And so they're coming in as non nonprofit consultants into organizations to have those conversations. So I think having more groups of people that, you know, want to volunteer their time and have the ability and, and knowledge around technology enough to help um, industry leaders make those responsible decisions. Cause like, like you said, Derek, like you gotta be this benevolent creature that, to know exactly what, what can and won't and will and should. And like people just aren't, you know, they, yeah. we, we can't possibly see all the angles with the technologies that we're creating. So um, any, any, and not necessarily oversight, but any accountability or additional sets of eyes in those types of technologies, I think could be super, super beneficial. Sure. It's because people that make some of these, make some of these regulations. A lot of them don't even have the right level of skin in the game to be accountable to the decision they made. Like they're not mm-hmm. impacted by it. They don't have to live it every day. So they don't understand the ramifications of it. It's um, yeah, it's an interesting problem to solve. And, you know, again, smaller companies end up in an interesting situation too, because if you're not a part of these organizations that drive standards, you end up getting flattened by larger organizations that will drive them and push them down on you. And if you are in a position where you're too small to be able to match those standards, 
uh, you've got a really tough decision to make. Like, do you have to use somebody else's platform and build on top of it versus building your own? It puts a really interesting barrier um, in a fast growing startup world. It is but, painful. Yeah. But yeah, the, the AI and data piece of it is fascinating for us, obviously, for obvious reasons. And we see the same things with whether it's marketing data or Internet of Things data, right? Whether it's time series or unstructured, it's like once you have it, how do you protect it? How do you keep it safe? How do you anonymize it? And how do you implement the right level of what you'd call machine le- machine learning fairness so mm-hmm. that you don't end up self-promoting a bias through the system? We, um, yeah. we use this example a lot. I think I talked to you about it. We built a bot and early on something that was communicating with our bot were like Subaru bros. So a couple Subaru bros immediately started interacting with content. So the bot started learning that the neural network started fortifying that branch. And then the next thing you know, we were swimming in like Subaru bros. Every WRX on the internet was <laughs> was uh, on our content, which is fine. I don't mind WRXs, but it was yeah. an accident, right? It was a complete accident <laughs> that the network just kept reinforcing that neuron. And um, yeah, we had to we had to pull the plug. <laughs> we had to pull the plug <laughs> Sorry, WRX guys. <laughs> Next time, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Completely not the target cohort, just but uh, <laughs> yeah. accidentally the reinforcement learning got us. So, so I've been I've been thinking about this a lot, especially since you know it's it, we're living through COVID right now. But your your backstory kind of makes me think about this. Um, you know, the silver lining of this pandemic is that a lot of people reassess what they were doing with their lives and their careers. Maybe they're selling insurance door to door too, and they maybe they want to get into tech. Um, what would you recommend to somebody who's looking for a career change, who's not in tech, but moving into tech? Like what advice would you give them to, to yeah. get started? So I love that question. Absolutely love that question. And I had the I had the privilege of meeting with somebody on the Lunch Club platform uh, mm-hmm. a couple of months ago who was a lifetime in retail and looking to get into technology. Um, she was out in the out in Seattle area, and it, it's it is it's a fascinating just concept and thing to think about, right? Like like I said, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, I would have never thought of being in tech. Um, I think for somebody that wants to like a foot in a door, is it, you're going to have to start unless you have, unless you have years of experience in something that can translate into tech. Like if you've, if you've got years in accounting, right. Startups need accounting, right. If you've got years in, um, HR, Startups need HR. Technology companies need HR, hyper HR, right? Like everybody's wearing like 15 different hats. Um, sales is different. If you're, if you're in sales and selling insurance and, and just beating the street, um, if you're successful or somewhat successful or just good, you're like 90% ahead of anybody else because you know how to take those no's. You know that, that it's a numbers game, that it's, it, you know, you got to knock on a certain amount of doors. You're going to get a certain amount of no's and 90% of them are going to be no's, but you're going to get 10% of those are going to come out as a yes. Out of those yeses, maybe maybe 10 or 20% of those are going to actually set an appointment. And then out of those 10 or 20, maybe there's going to be another 5% that actually close. And so it's all a numbers game. Um, but you got to start from the bottom. You know, The good news is, is that a lot of times the bottom in technology is higher and greater than the bottom anywhere else. Yeah, so instead sure. of making like 20 or 30 grand a year, from the bottom, you're making like 40 or 50 grand a year um, and going from there. So I, I think it's just finding 
and the advent of remote and with the pandemic and everybody being open to remote, um, that's really kind of excelled, I think, start uh, startup and technology sales to where me being in Pittsburgh, I, c- I have a pretty good shot if I wanted to, to get a job out in the Bay or out on the West yeah. Coast, right? Um, I'm probably going to be cheaper than somebody that lives in California. Um, I'll probably make more money than maybe somebody that lives here in Pittsburgh just by Mm -hmm. virtue of kind of meeting in the middle. So I think there's a lot of opportunity in technology for salespeople as a whole. If you're starting out in it, start from the ground up. Look for those SDR roles, those those sales development rep roles, those business development rep roles, those, you know, yeah, you're you're the bottom of the rung, right? You're you're cold calling, you're setting up appointments for the account executives, like, or the client executives, like you're doing a lot of paperwork pushing, but that's how you learn the business. That's how you learn technology. That's how you learn how to do what you need to do to be successful overall. And taking like your, one of your initial points, you're going to take a ton of rejection, ton of it. And you got to not let that affect you personally. A a painful, painful amount of rejection. Yes. It's, it's tough, especially if you've been successful somewhere else and then you try to do something new. Anytime you try to do something new, you're, you're just bad at it. You're, you're bad. Yeah. You're going to suck at it. No matter how good you are at this other thing, you're going to suck. And not starting doesn't make you better. And then being bad at it is tough, but you have to keep going. You're not going to get better by stopping. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the biggest thing that I've learned in my sales career is just like that stick to right? That mm-hmm. ability to... Um, to just push through the rejection and the uncomfortable, like put yourself, get comfortable putting yourself in the uncomfortable situations. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's when really like things can shine. You, you let God or the universe or whatever you want to believe, but you let that do the work. You just put yourself in the situations. If you've got a, this is going back to the combined days with uh PMA, um, positive mental attitude, right? Like if you go into these situations with a positive mental attitude, what you put in is what you're going to get in return. Your energy is, is conductive, whether that's positive energy or that's negative energy. Um, sure. Putting yourself into those situations where people can and want to engage with you with, regardless of what you're doing, you're always going to come out on top, or at least better than you were when you went in. I also Not think for, for employers, um, you know, they need to get out of the, this is what I worry about with machine learning and HR is that like, you know, maybe someone who's worked in retail could be a great business development person. They have some of those skills that would translate, but their resume doesn't have all of the buzzwords and the keywords to really get that algorithm to, to give them a chance. And so that's where I think it's, it's incumbent upon employers to really understand that there are transferable skills from industry to industry. And it's not just like, a plug and play. Like they don't have to always be in tech to be an amazing employee at a tech company. And so that's where there still needs to be some level of humanity in, in this tech space, even when it comes to like hiring and, and, um, employer and and brand for employers. Yeah. And, and that's painful. I mean, I, I can empathize with both sides of, of that particular example. Um, you know, as a recruiter or an internal HR, you know, professional, like the amount of sheer resumes that you get, like you have to have something that sifts through. Um, at the same time, there should be an aspect of physical hand touching on it, a conversation, you know, phone screen or something. 
um, to go through it. On the flip side, though, um, I think my last my last two roles, um, three roles, three roles out of the last four. That's what we'll. That's my final answer. Three roles out of the last four. <laughs> I've got based on relationships that I built with people that yeah. knew somebody that was looking. So um, I think, and I've got some, I've got a buddy of mine who is, uh, he's graduating from one of the boot camps called Tech Elevator here in Pittsburgh uh, next week. Um, I've got other people that have gone through those processes and like talking to them. This is from the software engineer side. Like a lot of the, a lot of the kids, kids, people, um, they're just, applying and they're smashing that apply button on LinkedIn and just uploading the resume. And while you, you know, I mean that, I guess that you have a chance of getting an interview doing that, you have a much, much like massively less possibility of actually getting a conversation than if you build or find a way to build a relationship with somebody that's in the organization that could refer you or somebody that has responsibilities in that position, like find a way to connect with that person and say, hey, I tossed my resume over, you know, I, I'm sure you get hundreds of these. Um, I think that the company is awesome because of this. I think that I would be a good fit for this role because of this. Would love to have a conversation, right? Just yeah. doing that and taking 10 or 15 minutes is going to set you apart from like 90% of the other sure. mass amounts of resumes that they've got. Yeah, I think you're right on. We work with them. We work in the universities a, a lot. Our past universities, um, we're on the board. And then um, there's a group called MESA in California, M-E-S-A, Math, Engineering, Science, and Achievement. Mm-hmm. And they have a really, really good, um, a good premise. They work hard in the community to get people who haven't been in tech, haven't had families in tech, and get those students to say, you can be an engineer, you can be in tech you can do this and get them through college and then get them through roles. And besides the resume building, that's exactly what they say. It's like, once you send a resume to somebody, you can punch so far out of your weight class. It's not even funny. Find someone on LinkedIn, go to the org.com, find a place you want to work, find somebody that works there. Somebody will talk to you. Well, this is one dude we used to work with. And he used to say, you know, if you want, um, if you want money, ask for advice. And if you want advice, ask for money. It's kind of a really interesting thing to think about. It's like, yeah, it's, uh, I've never heard of that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's pretty clever. And it, it sticks with me a lot, right? It's like, so anytime we're out fundraising, it's just like, hey, I have some advice. I, I need some advice. You got the skill set that I need. I'd really love to talk to you. And a lot of times, you know, they'll, uh, they will. You can punch outside of your weight class if you, if you ask for somebody's advice. Sometimes they'll help. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's see here. Yeah, so... Um, I guess we're getting, we're getting close to wrapping up. I don't want to take too much of your time, but what are the, what books are you really enjoying right now? What books, podcasts, anything that you really like listening to reading or um, attending? Oh man. Um, so I will be. Besides Jurassic trans- Park. I was going to say, <laughs> I will be transparent and honest. I am working on becoming a reader. I am not really a reader. Um, a book that I've been, however, that said a book that I have been working on for the last um the last year or so very slowly uh, is called crucial conversations. Um, I don't know if you guys ever heard of that one. Mm -hmm. Um, It, I am, I am because I'm so gregarious and personable. I really struggle with conflict and conflict resolution. I do not like uh, I'm a people pleaser, so I don't like people being mad. I don't like being mad necessarily at people. Um, That is not necessarily conducive to growth in relationships or otherwise. So, 
um, really kind of working internally on being able to step up to the plate to have those crucial conversations, important conversations, sometimes maybe painful conversations, mm-hmm. but at least having those and having those the right way um, is something that I think in many different aspects of life for me uh, would be beneficial. So I suck at reading though. I probably haven't picked this thing up in maybe six months, seven months. I think I'm on chapter four, but it is, we were building out some goals for next year and it's actually on my goal list for this next year to finish that book. Um, also a radical candor. Um, is another one that I'm working through. And then our CTO, Josh Gretz, uh, just, uh, suggested, I, I talked to him about running. He recently mm-hmm. lost like, like, I think a hundred plus, maybe 150 plus pounds, um, throughout the pandemic. Guys can do it so much more easily. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say this was easy for him, but I do agree with that, but I wouldn't say this was easy for him. Um, but he's, he went from like not doing anything like not running, to, you know, running marathons and things like that. Wow. And uh, recently purchased a book that he suggested called I Hate Running and You Can Too. Um, <laughs> and so I'm looking forward to kind of digging into that. I want to I want to get to the point where I can run comfortably three to five miles mm. without sucking wind, which I'm nowhere near. I'm a big guy. I'm like 6'4", 250. Like it's a lot of weight to push around running on the ankles, but I can do it. So And it's also a lot of people – um. It was funny during early COVID, I would walk around my neighborhood just because I had to get out of my 700 square foot apartment at the time. And I, the amount of runners that I saw, I was just like, oh my God, I've never seen so many runners in my life. And I think a lot of people, have, there's the the misconception that you can just like put on a pair of shoes and start running, but it's actually, you know, you have to have proper form. You don't, you don't, you can hurt yourself very easily. So it's, I'm glad that you're like reading a book and figuring out how to well, do it because it's not, it's not as easy as people think. It's really not. And this was one of the things that I had reached out to him just last week and put some time on his calendar and was like, Hey man, you, you, I know you run, um, help me out. And I've got another, I've got a good friend of mine for, from 20 years who went from, he was like, I don't know. He lost like 120, 130 pounds. This was probably five years ago. Um, and now he does ultra marathons. Like he goes out on the weekend, miles, dude, he goes out on the weekend and like, is like, yeah, just cranked out, you know, 40 miles this weekend, 60 yeah. miles Casual this weekend, 40 miles. casual 40 miles. I woke up at three o'clock in the morning and finished at like three o'clock the next, the next morning. Like, like what the heck, man. But like, like having those people in your life helps. Yeah. Um, but like, like you were talking about Lauren and the conversation that I had with uh, Josh Gretz, he was like, form, 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 form. He's like, especially being a big guy. Um, yeah your form can mean the difference of you hurting for like the next week or like being fine in a few hours. So we'll see. Yeah, I'll keep is, you guys posted, let you know how it goes. This is someone who tore her meniscus because of poor form because oh, I thought no. I could run. I went from zero to training for a half marathon, like an idiot. So don't do what I did. That's my cautionary tale. I won't. I um, hate running. I just, I think it's too. healthy, but I hate it. It's the worst. Yeah, it's terrible. But yeah, um, if you want to get through crucial conversations, get it on audiobook, get it on Audible, listen to it when you're at the gym, rip through it. Dude, it's really, really good. And depending on where you're at the book, you talk about making conversations safe, being able to share into that mutual yeah. thing, uh, that mutual pool of understanding. And then there's a whole big thing about it's not me versus you, it's us versus the problem. And like when you start reframing people like that, 
even if someone on the other side of the table is contentious, you make it safe to communicate. And you're such a relationship builder that it's going to be a really good thing for you to be able to do, easy thing for you to do without being completely pushed over. You know, yeah. Drew, Drew, who used to, you know, it was a number one um, podcast that we did, but episode one, that's what I was trying to say. But he uh, is a really great relationship builder, epic relationship builder. And um, he's worked really hard on not getting pushed over because he's a big harmony person. Yeah. And he's gotten such better results, right? And so, yeah, it's going to be awesome. I'm happy for you. Um, so last question is, uh, you know, if you could have dinner with yourself at 25 years old, 18 years old, you're sitting down, what advice could you give yourself? What would you, what would you say to yourself if you could go back in time? Yeah. Get in the technology right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would have said, get in the yeah. technology at 18 or 25. I would have said, go and do it. Find a job doing something in tech. Um, probably like hands-on tech to really, truly know. I've got such respect for the guys that are um, like technical sales engineers, right? That that can have and build the relationship, but still speak deeply into the technology. Mm. I just think that's so badass. Like there's just such a different level of understanding and the ability to truly connect with the needs of the client when you can speak into that. I'm not there. Like I can, I'll, I'll have those people in the room, but I, it, like being able to f- have those conversations in person over a couple of drinks or lunch or dinner or something like that, like Man, I think it just sets apart those people. So I'd say get into tech right now, um, and then and then just take it easy, like relax. You know, yeah. I feel like, I mean, it, between eighteen and twenty five were very different phases of life. So, but I'll say even at twenty five, like, like my head just was, I was all over the place. Like, like focus a little bit more on something. And then just progress in that direction and just relax. Take it easy. Awesome. That's good. Um, so if people want to learn more about you, find you, what's the best way to do that? Where LinkedIn. I live, LinkedIn. breathe on LinkedIn. That is that is my life. Um, they can find uh, IoT Media and Entertainment on LinkedIn. Um, but I usually push everything out on my personal. So Awesome. Yep, yep. Awesome. We'll direct people there. Please well, Alex, thanks, man, so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Again, it's been great getting to know you over the last year, being able to see all the cool stuff you're doing. And I hope we get to do this again soon. And when you come down to Raleigh, again, we'll, we'll take you to uh, some distilleries. We'll show you some local spots, and we'll try to get you to Asheville. We're going to do it, man. We've, we've got some stuff on the schedule coming up next year, and I think I'll be down there at least once, maybe twice. So um, awesome. I'm honored. Thank you for uh, asking me to be on this thing. You guys are the very first ever podcast that I've – that I've participated in other than my own webcast. So, Whoa. you know, this was amazing. Oh man. Now I'm, we're I'm honored. really excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for letting us be your first. We appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Alex. Yep.